Facebook. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Game Over Ottawa. I'm your host, Maud, and unfortunately, we are talking about yet another Senator's loss tonight as they fall to 5 9 and 1 on the season. Uh, another frustrating one here for DJ Smith's club. I think that's going to be a bit of a consistent narrative as we continue throughout the season here is uh, how long will it remain DJ Smith's club? Uh, but before we get into that, I would like to thank our sponsor, Sports Interaction. Want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada's sportsbook. Football continues, basketball is back, and the hockey season is well underway. Bet pre-game, live, in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Made for Canadians by Canadians, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com sdpn. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Now, back to the game. Another disappointing loss for the Sens where it just seemed like their offense came up short, which is something that I didn't really expect to be saying a lot this season. Like, we've been kind of micro-focused on the defense all year, as expected, as Dorian didn't uh, exactly acquire the top four upgrade that everyone expected in the offseason. Uh, but everyone thought that our offense would be just fine and, you know, that we would be involved in a bunch of high-scoring games. Now, it is difficult against a team like the Islanders, of course. They're not going to be giving up a lot of goals. It's kind of similar to uh, John Tortorella's Philadelphia Flyers that we've had to see twice in the past week. It's a little bit frustrating to have to play another opponent similar to that where... There's just really not a lot of like grade A chances, not a lot of rush chances given up. But I do have to say, I think the biggest storyline tonight for the Senators was the power play only being one for six. That's something that has really frustrated me uh, throughout the season so far, as I don't think the power play is quite up to the standard that I would like to see, considering the personnel that we have on this roster, considering the top six forward group. And, like, even though Shabbat was out tonight, we still have pretty good offensive D options in Sanderson and Branstrom. And I will say that I did like both of them on the power play tonight, but it's just the strategies, I think, on the power play that aren't exactly working. You know, it was a... We got a bit of momentum from the one goal from Batherson on the 5-on-3, so thank God it wasn't 0-6 on the power play, otherwise I would be really angry out here talking about that but I don't know just one for six and the only time we actually scored on the power play was a five on three which is a lot easier than a regular power play you know they managed to get one in pretty quickly there it's a bit of a gimme chance of five on three really like I don't know what the stats are around the league in terms of converting on five on three chances but it's kind of like if you don't score in a 5-on-3, that's really bad. So it's like, I, I can't give them too much credit just for the one 5-on-3 goal, right? When the other five power plays, one of which was almost four minutes because it was the double minor that uh, uh, kind of 
<laughs> kind of connected uh, to the five on three there. It created the five on three, but then it kept going uh, because it was a double minor. Like a lot of our shots were just from the perimeter. I found we didn't get too much uh, in terms of like one timers, in terms of quick puck movement, chances that are creating chaos in front of the net, you know, uh, especially since you have one of the greatest power forwards in the league right now in Brady Kachuk. I did think he played well tonight, but I think on the power play, I'd like to see more from him in terms of uh, scrumming up in front of the goalie and uh, going for deflections. Like, I don't think we had too many plays that were really set up for that. Uh, there's been some plays where they've tried to hit him uh, for tap-ins at the side of the net, but I don't know. I just, I don't really think they're they're using... Brady's uh, strengths on the power play too much, which is kind of funny to say because his production on the season is still fantastic. Like, I think he's above point per game at this point. He got his 14th assist of the year tonight. So if uh, if Brady was producing like all those goals in front of the net in the power play that we know we can, he would be having an even better season and that would just be remarkable. But yeah, but from a team perspective on the power play, I'm just really not seeing it. Like, we really miss the one-timer threat that Josh Norris had on the right-hand side. But when you add Alex Dabrinkit on the other side, I feel like it should be a pretty natural switch to be able to then change to setting him up for similar plays. Like, obviously, not all snipers are the same. They don't have the exact same shooting technique and stuff. And there's going to be like differences and how they get open and positioning and stuff like that and it is on the other side of the ice due to handedness but with how good uh we were at setting up Norris for that one timer last year and how successful it was I'm surprised that we haven't really been able to pull off too many great one-timer plays on the power play this year uh even if it wasn't Debrinket, like anyone else like I don't see Stutzla winding up for a one-timer like it's just not happening on the power play. And that was just really frustrating to see tonight because offense should be the strength of this team. And all that time on ice on the power play, just, uh, it wasn't happening tonight. Like, I'm looking at the box score now. Dabrinkit played 10 minutes and 17 seconds on the power play. Like, all that time there. And all we got was the one five on three goal and Kachuk seven minutes on the power play Batherson seven minutes credit to him for the goal at least and then Stutzla almost seven minutes a whole bunch of other guys around like four minutes or so it's just uh, all that time just it's such a momentum killer when you don't convert on those power plays too uh especially in the second period there after we got the Batherson goal and we kind of didn't really do much else on the remaining like three plus minutes on the double minor. I I seem to remember Joseph had a pretty good chance that he got stopped on. Uh, Varlamov stretching across and getting a skate on it. But other than that, there wasn't really much going on in those uh, three plus minutes. And then right after it ended, they come back the other way and Dobson gets a fluky goal. So just not converting on those power plays really hurt the sense tonight and their offense just isn't isn't quite there like we were scoring boatloads of goals early in the season and it's just I don't know what it is at this point I feel like they're gonna need to try some new strategies on the power play 
it, it's really tough. Like, that goal going in by Dobson was a huge back, backbreaker right after those power plays. And then, man, I just, I realized as well, the Islanders only had three power plays of their own, and they converted two of them, which is really frustrating to see as well in a game where we had six. It's in these low-scoring games against tough teams, the special teams can really be the difference. And even though the Islanders were two for three, I don't think our penalty kill was that poor tonight. It's just, uh, if we, like, if we had equaled them on the power play, then this is a totally different game. We had twice the amount of chances as them, and we couldn't uh, we couldn't get anything done. It was just super frustrating to see. And uh, Rusty in the chat says the penalties are not helping anything. Yeah, I thought there was a couple of untimely penalties tonight. Um, I will say though, in the first period, the call on Watson that was just bad from the officials. Because it was right after the missed call on the high hit by Romanov on Pinto. And then about five seconds later, I think Watson was kind of going after Romanov. I think it was Romanov that he gave a little shove to from behind. But it wasn't even much. It, like, it wasn't really a cross-check. It was just like a little shove. The player, uh, Romanov, went down pretty easily. And it's not like it was a shove into the boards or anything like that. It really felt to me like Watson barely touched him. And after such an egregious hit by Romanov in the corner on Pinto, it was really frustrating to see that get called. And then, of course, the Islanders converted on it. A nice goal by Wallstrom, to be fair. But I don't know, just it's really frustrating seeing these headshots get missed by the officials during games. Like, we have Shabbat out for at least a week with a concussion because of a hit right into the numbers in the last game. And, I mean, people can argue whether or not he turned into the hit or, like, he turned at the perfect time where Konechny couldn't stop to make the hit. Personally, I disagree with that. I think Konechny was looking at numbers the whole way, but people are going to argue that on, like, any boarding call and say, oh, he turned. But at least with that one, I can see maybe the officials saw it that way, that it wasn't necessarily predatory by Konechny, but this hit on Pinto by Romanov, that was just pure headhunting. Like, it, it was a little bit blindsided as well, because Pinto was kind of facing the boards, and Romanov comes in and jumps into the hit, when there's really no reason for that, and he gets pretty much only contact with Pinto's, like, side of the face or, like, chin area, I think. That, I thought that was extremely dirty. I don't see why Romanov needed to jump into a hit like that. It's just, like, it's a basic play where you just expect a guy to be finishing a check. But not like that. And we were really lucky that Pinto was able to return to the game, too. That's just the type of hit where I can't believe that the referees didn't catch that. And then they go around and call such a soft little shove by Watson. I, I was really frustrated with that. Um, but yeah, they score on that power play, Wallstrom. Uh, credit to him, it was a nice shot, but the penalty kill, I thought it was looking actually quite good on that kill up until right before that goal. Like, it was about a minute into that kill. I wrote in my notes, oh, the penalty kill is looking pretty good, and then they score immediately after that. So maybe I jinxed it, but... It was just a little bit of a miscue where 
kind of three of the penalty killers all drifted over to the near side where the puck carrier was. I think it was Barzell. And then right as that happens, Wallstrom is coming in the back door. Obviously, they have an extra man. And then because three of our guys all drifted over to one side, they're just able to get it right to him. He's wide open. It was just a tough positioning play there. I don't really think that was much of like a structural issue because I don't think the coaches are telling the penalty killers to be playing that way. I think it was just a little bit of a communication error where they all kind of went one way, got a little bit too focused on puck watching. So that was disappointing to see. Um, that about covers it for the first period there. I thought in the second period, you know, we had a power play. I wrote down that the second unit looked pretty good on the first power play in the second period. Uh, they had a couple chances for Debrinkit, I think, uh, that they set up and Broussard in front of the net. I'm not loving Broussard this season. Uh, he was a good depth pickup, but obviously seeing him forced up the lineup is rough. Because uh, he's just really not that player anymore. He did make a good play on the power play, though. That little uh, tap pass in the crease over to Debrinkit. And then there was a little bit of a scramble. The Islanders defenseman did manage to clear the puck. I don't think we actually got a shot on goal on that play. But I do have to give credit to the power play on that one shift by the second unit. I did note down that I liked them there. Uh, but then the first unit comes on after that. Lots of possession time, but really not many shots. I mean, a lot of the Sens shots tonight did come on the power play just because we spent so much of the game on the power play, specifically in the second period. But I don't think there was that many high danger chances actually created. And not a lot of plays where they actually got the goalie moving and the penalty kill kind of scrambling. It just seemed like the Islanders' penalty kill was extremely calm and just kind of watching us pass around the perimeter the whole time, which was just really frustrating. And again, yeah, we got a little bit of levity when Batherson scored. It was a nice goal, nice setup by Stutzla. I think he kind of uh, faked the pass to Dabrinkit at the point. Like, he was kind of looking at Dabrinkit and had his wrists kind of aim in one way with the puck, but then without even looking, then he shifts and passes it to Batherson. That was a, a very nice one-timer. As I was saying earlier, I'd like to see more one-timers. And we were actually able to pull it off there, I think. They were benefited from the fact that it was a 5-on-3 because, as I was saying earlier, they haven't really been generating many great one-timer opportunities when it's 5-on-4. But at least we got one there. It was a good goal, but... But yeah, then... I had already mentioned earlier that we didn't do too much on the power play after that, and then... The Islanders go the other way and Dobson scores. Just an ugly, ugly goal. A fluky goal. But not one where I can really blame the goaltender. Uh, I thought Cam Talbot played pretty well tonight. Not his fault on any of the goals. It's just kind of a defensive breakdown on each of them. It was, uh, it was a frustrating play to see on this one because it wasn't much of a skilled play by the Islanders or anything. It was a broken play. They, you know, they dumped it in. Talbot leaves his net to play the puck around the back of the net. And Holden picks it up. Everything's looking good. But the thing is, Holden just shoots it up the boards. And there's no one there except for Noah Dobson. And because we threw the puck right to the other team, there's no one there. The defense is scrambling. And Dobson's shot takes a wicked double deflection off of two 
of our defenders. I think Hamannick was in front of the net, and then I think it was one of the forwards as well. It, uh, I could be wrong on, on which players, but just a wicked double deflection. That kind of stuff happens in hockey where it's just fluky, not much you can do about it, but the whole play was created by miscommunication on the breakout where Holden is expecting the left winger to be there up on the boards. And I don't know where the hell he was, that left winger. So I, I don't think I can really blame Holden too much if the system is, you know, expecting the forward to be there. Then he's just doing kind of what he's been coached to do and his brain is programmed to do. is like, well, I got to move the puck up here and my teammate should be there. But it just didn't happen this time. I think it would be more the fault of the forwards on that play. It was a really disappointing uh, defensive breakdown there. Like I said, after the power plays, I felt like our momentum had kind of died. And then that really like put a fork in our momentum at that point. Just a bit... I don't want to call it a dagger goal because it was like midway through the second period. About seven minutes left. But it was just a really tough one to see go in. And then on to the third period. Jean-Gabriel Pajot scores against his former team. I can't be too mad about it because I love Pajot, one of my favorite sends of all time, but very sad to see him score against us tonight. My, in my notes, I just wrote Pajot with a little sad face. This is just, uh, hurts my heart. He was such a, such a great sends player, really underrated player league wide. I thought while he was playing here and I hope the Islanders are happy with him, gave him that long-term extension. I know that, uh, we had to trade Pedro at the time when his contract was expiring, but it's, uh, I don't know. It, he's one of those players that I think it would be really nice to still have around if we could have found a way to keep him. It'll be interesting to see in the future because uh, we did get a good return for him in the trade. I remember when we did deal him, even though everyone loves Pacho, I think everyone was happy with the return. I think it was a first and second round pick with a, Conditional third that we didn't end up getting. Uh, the condition wasn't met. I believe it was for the Islanders to win the cup. And they, I think they got close that year. I think it was the bubble year. They got to the third round, losing to Tampa. But then that first round pick from the trade ended up being really Grieg, which could end up being really good in terms of a trade value perspective. Uh, I mean, I think it already is pretty good for, for trade value. Uh, if you wanted to include Ridley Grieg, in a trade for a roster upgrade right now, I think he holds quite a bit of value, but I don't know if Grieg can live up to what Peugeot has been throughout his career. It's not necessarily uh, fair to compare them like head-to-head -head like that when one guy is like a 30-year-old vet and wants a draft pick, but I just feel like they're both gritty centers, gritty two-way centers. Um, so I'm really hoping Grieg can be at least half as good as Peugeot was for us because uh, we could really use that depth you know uh, I don't know if Grieg is going to make the lineup this year at any point maybe if we get more in injuries god forbid but I'd really like to see him uh, get some call-up games because he's been impressive in uh, training camps in the past and he just had really bad luck with injuries so I, I, I can't really uh, 
say I've seen any Belleville games this year, so I don't know how he's doing, whether or not he's deserving of a call-up, but, you know, I really like to see Ridley Greig come through for this team, just because I miss Peugeot so much, and he's, he's what we have left from that trade. Uh, and then that second-round pick, if I remember correctly, uh, on the broadcast they said the second-round pick was Ronnie Hirvinen, who is a Leafs prospect. I think we moved picks around in the draft if I remember correctly, that's when we selected Tyler Clevin, but I can't say for sure. I don't know if that is exactly accurate. But yeah, Pajero scoring on us makes me very sad. Uh, after that, Shane Pinto had two really good chances right in front of the net. That was frustrating to see. If he had scored at that point in the third period, I think it was with at least like 10 minutes left, that would have been that would have given us a bit more time for a comeback. Uh, it would have been a great goal, but Varlamov was just on his game today. Two great saves there. That was really frustrating. I was uh, cringing at that. But then at least we got one more goal to cheer about. Another late goal with sort of a half comeback attempt here. Another failed comeback attempt, I mean. Uh, Claude Giroux, eight goals already on the season. It was an amazing pass from Brady Kachuk, you know, kind of using his body to protect the puck away from the defenseman. And then, almost like he has eyes on the back of his head, he was able to just flick it on the backhand through the defenseman's legs right onto the tape of Giroud. That was a wonderful play and started off on the rush by Stutzla as well. Credit to him for getting the play going. I have to say the Kachuk-Stutzla-Giroud line has definitely been a bright spot for Ottawa for the last few games now. And... Oh, they were saying that Giroud extended his point streak to nine games, which is awesome, but it's so frustrating that in those nine games, I think we have one win. I believe it's one, eight, and one now in the last nine. So it sucks that we can't really celebrate that point streak too much. Like, uh, Giroud's giving it his all out there and really, really leading the team, but it's just, uh, it kind of feels like everyone around him is almost letting him down a little bit in terms of not being able to pull off the wins. Uh, and I actually was looking at a graphic here on Twitter from Hockey Stat Cards, the game score impact card for tonight's game for the Sens. And I don't know exactly how these stats work, but they're grading on offensive impact, defensive impact, and actual pure production. And Stutzla, Giroux, and Kachuk are literally just miles ahead of anyone else on the other team. Like... It's literally a bar graph where their bars are over here and then over here and then everyone else not even close all the way over at the other side. And I I feel like that is pretty reflective of how this game went. I really liked the Stutzla, Giroux, and Kachuk line. I feel like at 5-on-5, five five, they were generating the most chances for the Sens. And it's kind of been that way for the last few games, but we didn't really get much else from the other... Uh, the other line's 5-on-5, five five. like, the next player in this list on this graph of offensive impact is Jacob Larson and Travis Hamanick. Like, that's, I don't think that's what you want to see in terms of the way this is ranked. And then you have, like, the fourth line all the way down there at the bottom. Uh, I guess speaking of Jacob Larson, I do want to touch on him briefly because it was his first game for the Sens. I will say that I barely noticed him at all tonight, which I think for a defensive defenseman, which I assume is his game, 
I think that's a good thing. Uh, he only played 11 minutes, which is about what I expected. Uh, so I don't really know if he's going to be a, a long-term option on defense, but I was glad to see him get a shot tonight, especially because, uh, dare I mention his name, Nikita Zaitsev is still on the Sens roster. And after Shabbat got hurt, I was kind of thinking that they might just put him in, uh, just right back in there after being on waivers. I was glad they didn't do that and decided to give a younger guy a shot. Uh, but I wouldn't say it was the most notable game for Larson, but I, I think he was decent. I'd like to see him stay in the lineup for the next game. If he keeps playing this sort of quiet, decent defensive game, uh, not causing any issues, uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him stay in the lineup until Shabbat is back, you know. But, yeah. Huh. I was talking about Giroud's goal. After that, I think the Sens did have a few more chances in and around the net. Nothing like... Nothing great. Not really great A scoring chances. And then we get to the scenario once again. Six on five with the goalie pulled. Seen, feels like about the tenth time we've seen that already this season. Probably we, we've seen it in every loss. Except for uh, the overtime loss to the Devils. You know. We didn't... Uh, like... Ugh. On one hand, I feel fortunate that we haven't had any blowout losses or anything like that, uh, where, you know, you're just tuned out, like, by the time the third period even starts. Uh, it's nice that we've been able to be in it right till the end of every game, but holy crap, is it just frustrating to see yet another 6-on-5 opportunity go by with no goals and another empty net goal allowed. I don't know what on earth they can do to fix this. I think, like, I feel like it must be some sort of strategies thing once again. Now, I was talking about the power play earlier, and the 6-on-5 is a little bit comparable to a power play. Obviously, with more bodies out there, it's a little bit tougher, but maybe those two go hand-in-hand. Hand. I don't know, but it's just really tough to see another game end like that with an empty net. If we at least were able to pick up, a you know, an OT point in a few more of the games this year so far it's uh our record would be looking like pretty decent because like i know like overtime points in the nhl they kind of inflate your record and make you look better than you are so like it's not it's not like you want to be relying on that but i feel like if i was sitting here talking about a team that's like five five and three or five five and four or whatever whatever the math works out to and how many games we played uh, I feel like I would be able to be a lot more positive compared to just regulation loss after regulation loss. So it's really tough. Just in terms of where they go from here, I really don't know. Uh, we were trying to have a positive spin on things after the last game. Finally, you know, breaking that win streak against the Flyers. And then we're kind of kind of right back into disappointment pretty quickly after like, Everything's all rosy when you break a losing streak, but then you lose the next game and then suddenly it goes to one win in the last eight games or or nine games. I don't know, whatever it is. It's just you have to wonder how much longer uh, Dorian will go without doing anything to the roster because or the roster or the coaching. Like, I don't know. I think he wants to stand by DJ Smith as much as he can, but at a certain point when the regulation losses just keep piling up. I don't know how much longer you can stick with it. And 
there is the possibility of a trade. I know I've seen some tweets coming around of uh, quoting Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts, talking about Dorian hunting for a defenseman. There's a, a quote that I wanted to bring up. Friedman was talking about talking about this. He said, GMs are throwing Dorian anvils, not life preservers. I heard there's moves he could have made, which aren't great long-term moves, and he's just refused to do that. I I feel like that's a fairly encouraging quote, that Dorian isn't just being completely desperate and going for whatever uh, defenseman he can get. Like, I know there was rumors about Vancouver and Montreal. I don't think we want to be touching much from either of their rosters on defense. Like, maybe, maybe I would take Luke Shen from Vancouver or something just because he's on a really cheap contract that's expiring. I just really don't know what's even available out there for defensemen so early in the season. It's like, uh, it's just tough. It'll be tough for Dorian to to try to get a trade right now, I think. So I think we might have to be looking at a coaching change to try to spark the team, but I don't know. Just because I, I don't really think a trade is a realistic option right now. But that's enough about the game. We do have to talk about Daniel Alfredson tonight because it is his big night getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. I wanted to read some stats that I found from Adjusted Hockey about Daniel Alfredson's career. It's kind of an interesting concept here from Adjusted Hockey. They kind of go over the numbers and the stats of players' careers and adjust for the scoring paces of modern hockey to see how the stats would... Uh, would turn out if that player was playing now. And just a few things that they had in their article. Alfredson's seven-year scoring peak equates to an adjusted pace of 40 goals, 57 assists, 97 points, indisputably outstanding production while maintaining a strong defensive reputation, finishing as high as fourth in Selkie voting. He was a victim of lower offensive times historically. His, uh, his solid career totals rise by 48 goals, very close to the 500 goal mark, uh, with a total of 492 and uh, 104 points when adjusted for era. It's just, what a great career from Daniel Alfredson, man. And he's one of only 16 players in history to play 15-plus adjusted seasons and maintain an adjusted pace of 80-plus points per 82 games. It's just really impressive from our legendary Daniel Alfredson. I wanted to, uh, as well kind of run down my top five favorite Daniel Alfredson moments tonight. Starting with the Matt Sundin stick throw in Toronto, where he was kind of taking a shot at his fellow Swede, and I'm sure a good friend, Matt Sundin. He did that little fake stick throw into the crowd against the Leafs after Sundin had actually chucked his stick into the crowd uh, in a, a couple games previously. I thought that was just a really nice moment that showed off Alfredson's personality, and especially... It's something that a lot of fans complain about players not showing much personality in this league. It was really nice to see from Daniel Alfredson just a little bit of a shot at an opponent like that. Just a really cheeky moment that, that I'll never forget from him. And then number four here is a bit of a personal one for me that I think some people might not bring up is from the 2013 playoffs against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Sens were one minute away from going down 3 nothing in the second round. And Eric Carlson takes a penalty in the last minute. And you think, oh my god, it's done. 
there's no way coming back from this. But Daniel freaking Alfredson scores a shorthanded goal with 30 seconds remaining in that game. Set up by Milan McCulloch. Just a beautiful play where Alfie's crashing the net shorthanded. He knows, even though his team is down on the scoreboard and down a man on the ice, he knows that he has the ability to will his team on and further into the playoffs. And we went on to actually win that game in double OT. Shout out to Colin Greening with the game-winning goal. That was just a moment that I'll never forget in terms of Alfie's leadership and on-ice scoring ability. Just whenever you think the Sens were down and out in that Alfredson era, they would always manage to pull something off, it felt like. Something, something that kind of feels like we're missing lately in this season. Uh, and then, number three, I wanted to mention his jersey retirement. I have the banner souvenir from that night in 2014 where his number was finally raised to the rafters, the first player to have that happen for the Ottawa Senators. It was a really special moment. I was glad that I could be there in person. I don't really remember what much of what happened in the game that night. I think the Sens got their asses whooped by the, the Red Wings, but it didn't matter what happened in the game. It was just, it was Alfie's night. It was Ottawa's night to celebrate Alfie. And it's great that we have another night tonight to celebrate Alfie finally getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame as he deserves. It's just a really special moment when his number was racing to the rafters. I'll never forget being there. And then number two, I have to mention Alfredson winning gold for Sweden in the Turin Olympics in 2006. Now, I did not personally watch that. I was a child. It was like right before I was getting into hockey. Uh, but I have to mention it because it's probably, I would think it's one of Alfredson's probably top moments of his career personally for him. I mean, you can never know, but I, I would assume the passion for his country. It's Sweden's only gold medal at the Olympics, and Alfredson led them to it with uh, five goals leading the team and five assists. Had the most points out of anyone. Just, I think that cements him as a Swedish legend. We know he is an Ottawa legend, obviously, but finally uh, getting to win gold for Sweden and the fact that it hasn't happened again since he hasn't been on the team, you know, it's just, he's definitely going down in Swedish hockey history. And that's kind of the big moment there. And then moment number one, it obviously has to be the Buffalo Sabres goal in 2007 to send the Sens to their very first Stanley Cup final. As I said, uh, the year before with the Turin Olympics, I wasn't really watching hockey yet. But that next year on that playoff run, that is what made me a fan of hockey, the entire sport, the team, the Sens, and forever put Alfie in my heart as one of my favorite players. When he scored that goal, it was just so perfect that he was the player to put us through to the final, just put the dagger into Buffalo. It's just like, ah, so special thinking about it now. I always get chills seeing the highlight of that goal. Leo said in the chat, Alfie brought the magic. Uh, he was just, he's just so clutch. He scored the, the most clutch goal in the history of the franchise. One of the most important goals. Just what a legend. Leo says, they showed it at the Hall of Fame moments tonight. Uh, the Matt Sundin moment. Matt's was the one to hand him his plaque. That's nice. I'll have to go check out the highlights from uh, tonight's Hockey Hall of Fame event after I wrap up stream here today. And I think that is where I'm going to leave it off. Uh, congrats to Alfie on his Hockey Hall of Fame induction. 
Uh, congrats to the New York Islanders on their win tonight. Not really, though. I, <laughs> I am sad that I'm still talking about losses for the Ottawa Senators. Hopefully we can turn it around soon. Uh, the next game against the Sabres, I believe. Charlie will have that one for you. And I will see you guys next week. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.